Amen. I want to thank Brother Tommy for being cooperative, as he always is, but especially today in giving more time for the things we need to take care of and cutting out a song or two. Thank you, Brother Tommy. Thank you for preaching in my absence last week, and what a joy it is to have you here to be able to do that. And I want to thank you for allowing me to be gone. I didn't ask you. I just knew you'd allow me. I went and preached in Brother Billy Duncan's church at Bellwood Baptist Church in Columbus, Georgia last week and had a great, great time, wonderful service. God moved in a powerful way, and it was great to be there with them as I preached on the subject. Uh, what did I preach on last week? <laughs> Uh, I, I preached on the subject of, of revival, the, but uh, in particular about God's calling us to that and his work and, and talked about judgment to come. I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Second Chronicles seven fourteen. You know it very well. And also, as you turn there, I want to thank these five men who led us in our time of prayer. Was it not meaningful to you? I trust it was. It's time for the church to get serious about prayer. And I thank them for leading us in that time. Very special it was with the real needs. Let me remind you once again of the love offering envelopes that are on the table to help feed those folks in, in Haiti and help the pastors there, the seven churches there, to minister to the people all around and help them get through this time. What an opportunity. Now listen, I know our coffers aren't full. I understand that. I know it's been a difficult time financially. I understand all of that. But listen, when your brothers in Christ say help, send help that we may be able to minister in the name of Jesus, what an opportunity, what a privilege to be a part of that. And I know you will. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If you want to turn over to Psalm 85, I want to read the verses 4 through 6 of the 85th Psalm today. We're going to talk about some things today that I hope will help us prepare us for what God wants us to do and for us to do the right thing in the, in the situation we live in today, we need revival. Could I get a testimony? We really need revival. Psalms 85, 4 through 6. The psalmist writes, Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger for, to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? The psalmist says, will you not revive us again that we may rejoice in you? But God had already given the answer to that in Second Chronicles chapter 7, that we read a minute ago. He said revival is contingent upon the people of God. We're the ones who can bring about revival. We cannot send it. 
We cannot cause it. We cannot make the Holy Spirit move in our midst. But we're the ones that can bring it about by the mere act of obedience. Obeying what God says for us to do in order for him to do what only he can do. And we need something to happen in America today. We need something to happen in Montgomery today that only God can change those things. Only God can bring what we need to happen about. We need to turn to him. He said, if my people... It's, revival is a misunderstood word. It's often used wrongly from the pulpits. It's often used wrongly from the laity. We use revival to talk about a series of meetings. We're going to have revival coming up. We'll be meeting Sunday through Wednesday. We'll be going uh, five Sundays, as Brother Billy's church is doing in, in Columbus, Georgia, having five different Sundays. And I had to bat clean up. And then the follow-up guy will be there today preaching. It was, but they think it's just a series of meetings. But what is revival? Revival is specifically the business of Christians. Revival is God at work. It, revival is God restoring the health of his church. Moving in such a way that the weekly church, the sick church, the, the church that, that's not able to do what they ought to do gets right with God and then the church can have the marching orders and follow those, and God will supply the energy and the means and the opportunities for the church to be the church in the place that the church is placed. We are placed in Montgomery, Alabama. Every one of us is here by choice. Maybe the very small do not have that choice. But everyone else is here by choice. I came here as your pastor by choice, under the leadership of God and obeying his will, as the church obeyed what they understood to be the will of God to call me as their pastor. You're in this church because you understand it's the will of God for you to be a member of this church and to be a contributing member, active member, a serving member. Some of you have been in this church for a long, long time. Some of you have been here over 100 years. No, I'm sorry, you just maybe look like you've been here a hundred years. No, a lot of you have been here for many, many years. Some of you have been relatively ad newly added to the church family. Some of you have been here for several years. But we're all here because as we felt the leadership of God's Holy Spirit, that we be a part of this church family, it was the work of God that brought us together. He has built this church. He has made this church. He has a desire for this church. He has a plan for this church. And he wants to bring it to fulfillment in our lives and the life of this body of believers in this city where he has planted Dalreda Baptist Church. Revival is specifically the business of Christians responding to the will of God to trust the work of God in our lives he says my people 
God says, my people which are called by my name. In biblical times, a name was more than just a personal means of identification. Names often conveyed authority. They showed character and issued promise. They even displayed certain fates or destinies. Human names carried a great meaning, but God's name, as we think about that, encompasses a whole identity of who he is. He expresses his power and his omnipresence, I can't even say it, and his omnipotence by his name. His name clearly defines his relationship with his people. He said, if my people, the ones who are known, are called by my name. Consider David, if you will. Over in 1 Samuel 17, when he was confronted by the giant Goliath, he relied upon the authority of God's name. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord God, the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He made no bones about whom he believed in. He made no bones about to whom he was serving, given his service. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. Solomon, in his infinite wisdom, wrote in Proverbs 18 and 10, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Solomon, referring to the protection that God's name affords us, who believe in him. Do you know that? We're under the protection of God's name. The ones that are called by his name belong to him, and he is responsible for us, and he promises to work in our lives. He promises to defend us. He promises to bless us. He promises to protect us and to use us for his glory, but it all is contingent upon what he said in, in, in this verse we've read today. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people will do some things, I will respond to their needs. Even Jesus, in teaching us how to pray, invoked the name of the Father when he said, hallowed be thy name. He said, in other words, he was calling on us to worship and reference God's holy name even when we pray. Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, blessing, glory, and honor be your name. The second question that we must ask in considering being called by the name of God is, what is God's name? The book of Exodus, God had a confrontation with Moses, an unexpected one through a burning bush, and he told him what he wanted to do is he drew him closer and told him to take his shoes off because he was standing on holy ground. And, and he told him what he wanted to do in leading the children of Israel. He said, who in the world am I going to tell them sent me? He says, you tell them that I am sent you. Before anything was, I am. Before anything came to be, I am. Before time ticked or talked, I am. I am. And you know what? If God had stopped there, 
that name would have been more than sufficient. I am, but then he says that I am. Because the present tense of that name keeps his name in the present. Wherever you are today, whatever you're going through, what we're facing as a nation today, what the people in Louisiana and Mississippi are facing in the next hours, what those who are in the hospital beds of America are facing and around the world that have COVID and some of them on ventilators and other, other types of life support. And what they're needing is God's work in their lives. God to work. I am. The Bible tells us that there are other names by whom God is known. After he revealed his name to Moses as I am, he later said to him in the sixth chapter that uh, he referred to him as Moses, I mean, as, as uh, Abraham referred to him, these Lord Jehovah. Abraham knew him as Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides. Remember that as he was taking his son Isaac up the hill to sacrifice him. The Lord will provide. But Moses called him Lord Nisi. He says Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord my banner. He goes before me. I have my marching orders from him. I, I'm following him. He is my leader. He is my banner. He is my commander. No matter where he went, no matter what dangers he faced, no matter what obstacles or burdens that he had to bear, the Lord would always walk in front of him, protecting him, just like a battle flag or a banner, keeping him safe from harm or danger. For the Bible tells me there is no other name under heaven among men whereby a man can be saved. For when you call on him, wherever you call on him, however you call on him, the Lord Jesus is there and willing to meet your needs. We need revival. We need a movement of God in Dalrada Baptist Church we need a movement of God in the church throughout the United States of America. And there are a lot of places on the face of the earth where the church is in need of a stirring and a movement of God in a time of revival. Are you tired of being in church and nothing happening? Are you tired of going to church and it's, you go through the same motions and, and sing the songs and the preacher preaches and and, and there might be a, a commitment every once in a while decision. We have had baptism three times recently, four times this year. And, and we're very thankful for that. But aren't you longing for a time when there's something fresh and different and a movement of God in our midst when we come together, when we seek his face, when we turn to him and knowing that he has the power, he has the ability he has a desire to work in our lives and to meet our needs and to bring about revival in our midst. Is it right to pray for revival? Well, the psalmist says, Wilt thou not revive us again? 
The psalmist is praying for revival there. I quoted Dwight L. Moody a while ago, but I'll say it again. He says, every great work of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Every great work of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Every time God's done a great work, revivals in different parts of the world, the invasion of the Holy Spirit in Wales, and, and the, the great movement of God in America and a young United States of America through Jonathan Edwards and others, every time God's moved, it's been in a response to a kneeling person, a figure that comes before him, seeking him, asking him, longing for him, asking over and over again, and surrendering their way to his way, their will to his will, turning from the disobedience and seeking total allegiance to the Father. That's exactly what 2 Chronicles 7, 14 tells us. Turning from our ways and seeking his face. There is, I believe, no greater issue facing the church at this time than the subject of Holy Spirit sent revival. And there's no greater passage dealing with it in the scripture than 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It's right to pray for revival. Is it right to expect revival? The psalmist says, will thou not revive us again? Most people believe that revival has taken place in the past. They believe the, the wicked city of Nineveh heard the preaching of Jonah and repented in a great, great movement of God, and the whole city repented and a great revival took place there. They read that and they believe that took place. No questions about it. They believe Jonathan Edwards saw a great revival in colonial America as he preached the word and others were praying for him. As I said a minute ago, they, remain, they thrill at the stories and, and know that there's been the revival of the great Welsh revival. They understand that many older people remember the days of real revival in yesteryear. I've told you this experience before, but I, I've had this so deeply embedded in my heart and my mind as a little boy, I was a cotton head. My ha hair was real light blonde. It's real light blonde now, but it was a, I was a cotton top. My daddy called me cotton top. All, he had a lot of names for me, but I won't tell them all. But I, I would go with daddy and mother to church. We'd drive over to Big Creek Baptist Church, and there'd be a time of revival. Now, it didn't just go Sunday through Wednesday. It went Sunday through Sunday. Eight days of revival in those days. And I do remember a time as a much younger kid when the revivals were two weeks long. Started on a Sunday and went to two Sundays later. And people came. You said, every night? Every night. You know what was different? Every day, too. They had morning revival services and evening revival services. I'm talking about every, every day of the week. 
and businesses would close and go to the revival and, and, and skip lunch and go back and open up. People would ask for time off during the two weeks for the extended lunch break so that they'd go to the church for revival, and it would go on day and night, morning service, evening service. But I went with my dad. We would go early, and we'd go to the men's prayer time. The prayer time would take place in the Sandy Bottom Creek. I don't know why it was called the creek because it never had water in it unless it flooded rains. But it was a little Sandy Bottom Creek out behind Big Creek Baptist Church. That's so funny, isn't it? Didn't even have a creek, but it was Big Creek Baptist Church. And we'd go out there, and I'd go out there with those older men, and I'd be one of just a couple or three boys that'd go out there with them. The women would meet in a Sunday school classroom and have a prayer time, and I'd go out there with my dad. And I saw those men, and I got down with them. I didn't know any different. I just got down on my dressed, closed knees in the sand. And my daddy and the others would be down on their knees. And you're talking about praying. You're talking about praying, asking God to do what only God could do. I've heard those men cry out and weep and wail. Oh, God, my boy is lost, and he's going to be here tonight. God, I'm praying. Would you break through? Would you, would you convict his heart? I pray, God, save my boy before he's dead. Save my boy. I could hear other daddies praying for their grandchildren. I could hear daddies play, praying for their brothers and their sisters as those men would be down on their knees. And I'm talking about for 45 solid minutes without any other conversation, those men, one after another, would pray and pray and pray. And I was raised on my knees as a little boy with older men as they prayed and asked God to intervene and send revival. And we'd go back into that church house. And let me tell you something. It was a little country church that seated maybe 250 people at the most. That would be jam-packed. Even the Sunday school rooms in the back would be full. And we'd go back in that church house, and I'd walk in, and I couldn't believe it. That place would be filled Packed to capacity. And the preacher of the hour would stand up, and it was obvious that those men had already prayed the Holy Spirit to take charge of him, and he was standing in that pulpit, and you just knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that God had given him a message, and he was going to give him unction and liberty and boldness to preach that message. And I've seen those preachers preach until they couldn't preach another lick. I've seen them almost Foam at the mouth, they were preaching so hard and going and asking God to move and people praying and amening and oh meing and carrying on. And the invitation would be given. And I'm going to tell you, it was nothing to see 60 or 70 people saved in that little church in that week of revival over and over and over again. Why? Because my people who are called by his name humbled themselves and prayed and sought his face as they turned from their own ways and look for his way and for him to intervene. Let me tell you, that can happen again. God has not quit. God hasn't said, well, I've saved all I'm going to save. God has not said, my son died for the ones that have been saved so far, but the rest of them, they're just, they just going to have to go. God is still in revival business. He is still in soul-saving business. He still wants to use the church 
as we get serious about the Great Commission that we've talked about recently. He still wants to work in such a way he will send revival. Most folks believe in the revivals of yesteryear, but they don't have much faith that God can send that kind of revival again. But let me tell you something, folks. We need to get serious before a holy God in the shape that we're in as a nation, as a shape, the shape that we're in as a state. And listen, the shape that you're in as a city of Montgomery and what the mayor is bringing before that council for things to change in this city. You best get serious. We need to turn to a holy God and ask him to intervene that we may have revival and see God work in our midst. Most times, it's an unwillingness to pay the price. But God hasn't changed. He still has revival ready for anyone who will do what he asks us to do. Thirdly, is it right to rejoice over revival? Revival generally starts in tears. It generally starts with a labored heart. It usually starts with open repentance But it proceeds to joy. When God finally moves, I can remember words we used to use. We don't use these anymore. They're not popular anymore. We'd say, oh, we've been in revival all week, and last night God broke through. You ever heard that? God broke through. You know what that means? We finally got so tired in the flesh we finally got to the point where we had emptied our hearts out before him. We had prayed and sought him, and we were tired and weary from all the preparation for revival and going every night for eight days, and God broke through. Let me tell you what. I can remember, and maybe that's the reason we don't see those kind of movements, because as I remember days of revival, and I'm talking about even in my younger preacher days, revival went Sunday through Friday in most places. And you know when most folks got saved in revival? Friday night. Most salvations would take place on Thursday or Friday night. You say, well, why is that? Oh, y'all just worked hard and got all those young people there on Friday night. No, most of the time be the same folks that had been there all week long. I'll tell you what happens. By Friday night, the flesh is so tired from going to work or to school all day, getting up in the morning, getting the kids off the school, getting to work, laboring all day, getting home, getting a bite to eat, getting the kids ready, getting yourself ready, going to the church house, getting there in time for the prayer meeting to take place, and then go into an hour and a half revival service. And by Thursday or Friday night, the flesh is worn out. And you see people come dragging in and saying, oh, this is a good meeting, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. Oh, my goodness, is tomorrow the last night? I'm tired, but man, I really enjoyed this. And by the time the flesh would get so weak and so worn out that it could not carry on is when the spiritual man would come shining through and take charge and begin to move and the Holy Spirit of God would begin to move and folks would give over to the Holy Spirit's working 
and we'd see a mighty movement of God. Listen, we can't even have a prayer meeting that lasts longer than 30 minutes, much less a 30 and 45-minute prayer meeting and then revival service. We've gotten so time-conscious of everything that we have on our schedule and all the things we want to do and all the things we need to do and all the places we need to go and all the activities that we and our family members are involved in. We have put those things as such priorities in our life. Nobody will cancel anything for the church having revival. You know why? Because we gave way a long time ago and said, we'll just go through Wednesday night. Sunday belongs to the church. Wednesday night belongs to the church. We're just asking you to give us Monday and Tuesday also, and then we can have our ball games on Friday night and Saturday and all this. We can go back. Let me tell you what. I can remember a time when the church house closed down the secular house. When the church had revival, the people were there. Businesses closed early. God was at work. You say, well, you're in a small community. We're in Montgomery, Alabama. Listen, we don't serve a small God. He's just as big in Montgomery as he was in Tifton, Georgia, as he was actually in Irwinville, Georgia, if you don't know the truth. He's just as big, powerful, and able that your people may rejoice in you. Let me just close this up. I want to ask you several questions, but I don't want you to respond only in your own hearts and minds. Anybody here sick and tired of life as it is? Me too. Anybody here tired of coming to church and nothing unusual happening? Things that can only be explained by the presence and the power of God? Me too. Anybody here tired of being worried about the effects of COVID? Me too. Anybody here tired of American politics? and lifelong politicians whose padded pockets have made them some of the richest people in America? Yes, me too. Anybody here tired of so-called movements for embellished causes that are driven by human sin nature rather than God's causes? I don't know of a single cause that is real and life-changing other than a genuine Holy Spirit-sent revival that will last forever. Is that what you desire? Do we desire a real movement of God in America that will resonate around the world as it once did? Is that what you're looking for? That's what I'm looking for. And because we just don't feel that we can yet get back into small groups and in small rooms where the air is not fully ventilated with fresh air, we're not able to meet on Wednesday night and for Sunday school. I hope that is soon going to be over with.
but I will meet you here at 6 o'clock Wednesday night in this room. All ages, right here in this room for prayer time. I'll be here. Will you? We can sit spread out. You can wear your mask or don't wear your mask. I'm tired of telling folks how to take care of themselves. You know what you need to do for you. If you don't, you're blind and your ears are stopped up. But I'll be here at 6 o'clock. We're not going to sing. I'm not going to preach. We're going to go through a prayer list. And we're going to pray. I don't know when we'll be through. I assume it'll be about 30 or 40 minutes. I don't know when we'll be through. But we're going to pray. We're going to seek God's face. We're going to repent. We're going to tell him we're ready to walk in his will. We're going to tell him we're ready to see him heal our land. and We'll do what he asks us to do to bring that about. I'm not talking about a scheduled revival with guest preachers. That'll come. I'm talking about an unscheduled revival through God's people being obedient before a holy God. I'm not going to take the role. I'm not going to talk about you if you're not here. I'm probably going to talk about you if you are here. But we're going to pray. That's how serious your pastor feels that our present situation is. Let me encourage you to join me here at 6 o'clock Wednesday evening. Let's pray together. Father, we are your people. We're the ones that are called by your name. We're called Christians. Bought with the price of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his death on the cross and resurrection, we've been given life. Father, we have so much for which we ought to be thankful. There ought not to ever be a day when we don't give you praise and glory and thanksgiving and honor you because of life and the blessing we enjoy, even for those that we would consider less fortunate than we, just to be living in this nation where we're free and where we have more than the average person in the world has, even if we're one of the poorest people. Lord, we're so blessed. Lord, we want to see you do a We want to see you do a work right here in Montgomery. We want to see you do a work in our nation. Lord, we want that work to spread to the other nations all around the world. We prayed for those specific needs as these five men led us earlier in the service. And we just remind ourselves of that. 
And we ask you to hear those prayers and to bless as only you can. Lord, have your way with us. If there's one here today that does not know Jesus, what a great time to just respond to your Holy Spirit, to your name, and to give their life to you. Have your way as we sing together. In Jesus' name.